Hi, I'm Jennifer Zollett. And I'm Larkin Bell. Welcome to our podcast, A Brighter Lens. For this week's episode, we talked with Bridget Maloney back at the beginning of quarantine. Bridget is an award-winning writer and director working in television, film, and commercials. We talked to her about the short film, Blocks, that she wrote and directed. She's also the writer-director of the independent television pilot, I Was a Teenage Pillow Queen, that premiered at the 2018 Tribeca TV Festival. Bridget shot Blocks while a member of AFI's Directing Workshop for Women 2020. The AFI Directing Workshop for Women has been dedicated to advancing the number of women working professionally as narrative screen directors since 1974. The workshop annually provides eight gifted directors with immersive training in screen directing, professional development resources, and inroads to the industry, all at no cost to participants. Blocks was an official selection at Sundance, South by Southwest, Brooklyn Film Festival, Woman and Film Festival, Atlanta Film Festival, and Oxford Film Festival all this year, and will be playing at this year's AFI Fest. AFI Fest starts today, so buy a ticket to watch Blocks at fest.afi.com. Enjoy! Thanks for joining us, Bridget. Thanks for having me. If you could just introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about yourself and about your short film Blocks that premiered at this year's Sundance Film Festival and was selected for South by Southwest. Sure. Um, Hi, I'm Bridget Maloney. I am the writer and director of Blocks, um, which is a short film that is an existential comedy about the mother of two young children who starts spontaneously vomiting plastic toy blocks. And it premiered at Sundance this year, which was the last time I left the house. Um, Not really, but I'm super glad (laughs) that I went and I got to go for as long as I did. Um, And it was programmed at South By. um, And uh, that festival is canceled. So we didn't go. Um, And it's also been programmed a bunch of places. We've been very fortunate. Atlanta and Brooklyn, and these are all online now, and Oxford, Mississippi, and a few others that are announcing soon. Um, So it's been kind of bittersweet because it's really exciting that it's so well received, um, but we're not really having the festival experience one does when one has a short that's that's well received on the circuit. But um, I'm still really grateful that it is getting the reception it is. It's just a strange time to be having it happen. Yeah, can you tell us a little bit about the online screening space and how that works. And were you part of MailChimp's presentation of the South by shorts? We were, we did MailChimp and then we also did the Amazon prime um, South by. So I have like a slightly, I have a a very minor complication that that's kind of boring, which is I made this short as part of AFI's directing workshop for women. So they, it's my intellectual property. It's my short, but the copyright is AFI's. Um, so, and because AFI has its own deal with SAG-AFTRA, there have been some complicating issues with where it can stream for free. Um, so that's a side note, but, um, we were also selected to be part of Sundance's theatrical tour, like in movie theaters, but 
who knows about that? <laughs> um, I'm like, well, maybe in 2022, people want to see some shorts. Um, that was that felt like a real bummer. And of course, all these bummers are eclipsed by the global health crisis as being the ultimate bummer. But I still allow myself to have some pity for myself every once in a while. Um, the online screening space, it's like, on one hand, incredible. I think probably more people are seeing it than ever would have at these festivals, even the big regional festivals. Um, but on the other you miss out on the magic of it and like being with the other filmmakers, which is such a huge piece of this, I feel like for everyone. And um, we did an online Q&A for Brooklyn last night with the rest of the shorts in, in my block. It's funny because you say block so many times <laughs> in um, And that block is called Secret, Secret, Secrets. And everyone seems cool. I haven't seen their films yet because they haven't started streaming. And, um, Claire, who's the lead actress in my film afterwards, we were texting about um, the people from our Sundance block and how like we became buddies and are still in touch and how that's gone. Like that's obviously, I could become virtual pen pals with everybody. They really seemed great, but like that's a weird move right now. We don't need more Zoom dates in our <laughs> lives. Um, so that part is definitely missing. And the, you know, it's a lot harder just as a viewer for me to like stumble upon something in a digital space, like you seek it out. Whereas if you're at a festival, you might be like, Oh, I have two hours. I'm going to go see what, what this is about. Or I heard about this, or I heard about that. And this is obviously much less uh, spontaneous now that it's all virtual. Yeah. Wow. Um, could you tell us a little bit about the inspiration to write and tell this story? Yeah, of course. Can you tell how I'm a long talker? Sorry. Guys. I love it. No, it's oh, no, wonderful. we love details yeah. here. Also just making me miss Sundance, but you know. Oh my yeah, God. It's same. So, fun. Yeah. so fun. Yeah. Um, were you guys there this year? Or mm -hmm. was, yeah, yeah, we were. Really? It was my first time going. Oh, amazing. Oh, I actually, I, side note, I grew up in Park City, so I've been there. Oh, but yeah. Oh, yeah. Also, oh, side note, we had we had met some people that worked on your mm, film, mm -hmm. like while waiting in line for coffee at the Canada Goose pop up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And they so were, they're rolling like... very deep. So <laughs> I have no doubt you met somebody from our film. Um, one of our producers literally sent a text to every woman who worked on the movie when we found out we got in and was like, I have a house that sleeps 12. Like, who wants to come? Oh, and <laughs> like our intern came. Um, oh, which was cool. Um, yeah, the inspiration for blocks. I am the mother of two young children. I have a six-year-old and a three-year-old who are in the house right now. My office is a former potting shed that I sit in. It's my <laughs> shop office. Um, so I have little kids and I, um, I was wanting to make something. I had made an independent TV pilot in 2018 called I Was a Teenage Pillow Queen that premiered at Tribeca in their indie episodic. And I was proud of it, but I, in trying to figure out what I was gonna do next, was like, I wanna make something really visual. Cause that was like, I was making it to prove like I, I could direct TV. I know what it's supposed to look like and feel like. And, and also I wanted to make this thing I wrote that I never would have been allowed to direct if I had ever sold it. So um, I made this pilot, but I was like, the next thing I want to, to really like push my visual storytelling. So I had started writing these like 
almost sketches, these like not a lot of dialogue. And they were all inspired by parenthood. And I had had this image in my mind when I was cleaning up one morning of like, what if I just turned around and in the breakfast dishes vomited Legos? Cause that's how I feel. Like, I feel like it's this never ending cycle of like caring for my children. <laughs> and, and I have like a very involved partner. Like we, we, um, we're taking that seriously, our parody. So, but, and I still feel like, oh my God, it's just like endless grind and endless cycle. And so I wrote this one page thing about a woman who throws up Legos and then decides to just rinse them off and put them away. And then when I apply, cause that's also how it feels is like this matter of fact acceptance of like, my body's all fucked up now. Not really, but a little bit. And like, and like, all I do is like care for these people and like touch so many different people's poop. And then, <laughs> and then it happens again. And I love them. And I'm like very happy to be a parent. And I didn't have clinically significant postpartum depression or anxiety, but I still felt this way and how surreal it was. So when I applied to AFI's directing workshop for women, I was trying to, you submit what you want to shoot. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to open up that Lego vomit thing is what I was calling it and make it like a proper short. Cause I feel like there's a story there. So I submitted what was very close to what we ended up shooting. Um, and then I was selected for the program and, and, and I made it. And it's been what I've been really excited about with it is that non-parents also respond to it as just like both um, of of all genders too, like as a sort of existential thing, but then also feeling like, you know, it's a good, it's a good movie about boundaries for people. So <laughs> that's been like really satisfying that it's not just mom content. Not that there's anything wrong with mom content. Obviously I make it, but like that it, it works for a lot of people. Yeah. It's universal. Definitely. I felt that I'm not mm -hmm. a mom, but yeah, same. you know, yeah, I loved it. It's great. Um, can you tell us a little bit about AFI's directing workshop for women and kind of how that whole thing works? And, and I know that your showcase was affected because I was supposed to go to that. Um, yeah. yeah. Showcase and, and kind of how that all is working out. Yeah, the showcase being canceled uh, is like, so it was supposed to be March 11th. And that was like the day before the official decree, but the writing was on the wall. We all were like, what is this is like, I canceled my parents who are in their 70s from coming. I was like, mm, their, their immunity is not perfect. They won't hear this. So I can say that. <laughs> um, they can't navigate the podcast space. So I can also say that. <laughs> um, but I was like, uh, this seems crazy that we're going to have a showcase with 600 people at the DGA. Like this just doesn't feel like it's going to happen. And it got canceled day up, which is sad for a lot of reasons. One, because several of the other filmmakers, in fact, I think I'm the only one who had had a premiere yet. So that was going to be a lot of people's premieres. Um, and it's well attended by lots of people both in the industry and just supportive of it so you know it's a, if you don't have representation it can be a good place to meet someone who might want to represent you um and it's like fun and it's sort of like our graduation and i'm using ghost quotes on that because it's not like an official program it's not like we're at the conservatory but you know it's the big finale of the program so it felt very weird because now we're done and it's like there was no end and and 
Rebecca Murka, who took the program over from Lauren Ludwig, um, who ran it while we were there, and then they transitioned um, in the fall. In the fall? No. In the, um, in January, they switched, I think. Doesn't matter. <laughs> Um, <laughs> yeah, but at some point they, they, she, they, new people came in. Um, Rebecca is like very much trying to get us a showcase still an in-person showcase, but you know, they put it online, which it's always online, but they put it online for a little longer. Um, but it did feel strange. I mean, I had a new outfit, but it went from like, we were all like headed towards this and like such an exciting culmination to celebrate with each other. And then it's like gone. Um, so that's a bummer. Uh, but it, there was just no way to do that. And like no way to do that safely. And, and they tried, they'd already rented the DGA theater. So they were really trying, but um, the program itself is terrific. They take eight female identifying filmmakers. I think they're working on expanding that to just also having language about non-binary film filmmakers um, a year. And it's the, the thought is it's usually filmmakers who are somewhere already on their path. So who have directed things of varying degrees, of varying levels of experience, but usually people who are launched a little bit. And um, you apply, as I mentioned, with a, with a short screenplay and then you develop it with um, guest artists and each other. And then you also have this sort of like crash course film school and AFI is very careful to be like, this is in no way the conservatory, but for someone like me who didn't go to film school and has just learned from being on set as an actor and then being like, and now I'm a director and, and learning that way. Um, it was incredibly helpful because also it just sort of validated my filmmaking instincts and stuff like where I was like, oh yeah, that, I know why I like shots that look like that, but now I understand I have the language to express why that feels right to me or why that looks good. And, and I feel a lot more confident turning to a cinematographer and saying, you know, and, but of course that being said, there are a bajillion directors, successful, wonderful directors who say things like, oh, I want this just to feel a little dreamier. And like, that's totally fine. They don't need to talk about focal length. They don't need to say anything, you know? But I do think this is where um, some of the gender bullshit comes into play, where like being prepared as a woman director is like the ultimate compliment. And I'm like, what is that? But the idea of like women have to have the language and like, you've got to, you've got to know your gear. I mean, everyone should have the language, but the, there's an expectation that you need to prove that you know what you're talking about, um, which is bullshit, but we have to work in the system and to dismantle the system, I guess. That's what I'm being told. Um, so <laughs> yeah, so AFI was great for that. And then the big, huge part of it for me was the other filmmakers. Cause like we have an ongoing writers group and it's like, I, got a commercial job in the fall and I was like, you know, didn't want anyone to feel nervous about having given me the job, but I also wanted someone to check my work. So like I called one of the other filmmakers, Tiffany Francis, who does a ton of commercial work. And I was like, Hey, can you look at these storyboards before I hand them back over? And she was like, absolutely. So that sort of community is really incredible. And you get it from, we worked so closely together for a year and a half. Like I can pitch their movies really well <laughs> because I was there the whole time. Um, and so that part was great, but the program was great. It really did change my life because I'd been making stuff, but this gave me an institutional stamp of approval, which is also problematic, but helpful. 
and like put me in a position where I felt like I could really swing for the fences, like with blocks. I was like, I want it to look like this. I want, I had access to like, you know, their AFI's connections and people who would work for no money or free. And, and I said, and I, you know, and it felt safe to take big risks. And that is sort of what helped me. Like now I have agents and a manager and like, I'm developing blocks as a series and all this stuff is happening. And I have to give AFI a lot of credit for that. That's amazing. Um, one in the weeds question about the AFI DWW. Yeah. So I know that when you apply to it, then you you're expected to like fundraise for your project mm -hmm. through that. How was that part of the program? Horrible. Like, okay. Horrible. That's what Horrible. makes me not, you're like selling this program where I'm like, oh wow, this sounds amazing. But then I always remember that. I'm just like, Ooh, I hate that. Yeah. It's horrible. You have to fundraise. Well, two things I applied and didn't get in one year and and that's actually what pushed me into doing the pilot myself because I had applied with a cut down version of the pilot and I'd gotten feedback from Lauren Ludwig who ran the program at the time because they'll offer you feedback on the phone or email. And if you get far enough along in the interview process, you used to be able to come in. Now there are too many people. Um, so I went in and they were like, Lauren was like, this is too ambitious. Like this is like an act, you can't, this is not like the program to shoot this. This is like, you're trying to make a pilot. That's not what we're doing here. But also it gave me feedback on the other shorts I had submitted and was like, we need to see more of this and more of that. And I think you need to push yourself here and there. And that was very helpful for me because I hadn't been told so specifically like what felt like a young filmmaker in my work. Um, so that was very helpful, but yes. So then when you get in, you have to raise between twenty-five dollars and $40,000. And there might be some stuff changing with that because that is obviously very limiting for people. Like that you're coming in with a certain level of privilege to say like, yeah, I can do that. Like, and you also have to sort of prove that you can, like you have to say when you submit what your fundraising plan is and it can't be like, a wish and a hope like you have to say like I've had one successful crowdfunding campaign already or like I have a grant or and they but but as people have said this is like obviously turning people off from the program who are filmmakers voices we want to hear and and also like it's really easy to make something look good when you have a ton of money. And that also sends the wrong message is like, if you just have an expensive short you're submitting, is that going to get you farther along in the application process than someone who might be doing something really innovative on their phone? Um, so they're sort of trying to figure that out. I am going to talk out of school here and say that I know not everybody raises that amount and that like, you're not like they'll, you'll figure it out. But that's the goal when you go in is to do that. And it's, it's horrible. Like you just do it, but it's, I hate raising money. It's, and their argument, AFI DWW's argument is that as a director, you're always going to be trying to find financing that you're as an independent film director, like you're always going to be trying to find money for your movies. And so here's your first chance like go find the money to make the movie. And they used to, this also might be changing. There's like a kind of dynamic, there's a new Dean, like things are changing at AFI. But um, 
you used to be able to get a production company attached, a real product, a real production company, an established production company in exchange because they can't have any rights to it. But you could used to say like you get the first look or right of refusal or whatever, if you're going to be developing it as a feature. Um, but that might be changing too. So that's really interesting. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> I can just talk and talk. <laughs> um, Cool. Well, could you tell us about a favorite memory from creating blocks? Oh yeah. I have so many. I filmed it at my house and those are my own children in it. Um, and I'm never going to film anything in the place where I live ever again, (laughs) but it's like a great way to save money and ruin your life for a while. But, um, it was very special um because it's like obviously a personal film and a lot like one of the producers Kristen Slaysman is one of my closest friends she's now pregnant with her second kid um and my friend Claire who's who's the actress in it she has a child so like a lot of us do have kids working on it and so that was it like meant something to a lot of people on it but um the like Oh, I have a couple, but there was a moment where this was a good lesson for me in like prepping the movie to within an inch of its life. Like I love the spirit of improvisation. And so I sometimes I'm like, and then we'll figure it out on the day. But I was like, I'm not going to do that this time <laughs> because there's like effects and kids and we had to have a medic every time Claire had Legos in her mouth. And like, it was just, you know, and it was a big deal. So I was super, super, super prepared. We did photo storyboards for every frame, um, every frame, every shot. And then see, I learned, I learned the talk. Um, but then we also, but then as a result, we had room to experiment because we were so well done. And our AD was like amazing. Um, Cam Dexter. So we have worked with her since. So there was a day and we had a little bit of time, but like, great. Let's pick up the kids in the bed while Claire's reading, which is now the scene that opens the movie and um, we're doing it. And all of a sudden my daughter's like, I need a Kleenex. She was five and a half at the time. And like in the middle of the scene. And I was like, okay, wait, hold on. And then she like looks up and blood is pouring out of her nose. She's, she gets nosebleeds and she like had like a massive nosebleed. And we're like, okay, cut, cut, cut. And I like run over and Claire like hops up. And now this is like a medical, it's like a health and safety issue if anyone's bleeding on set, even though it's my bed, my bedroom, my child. Like, <laughs> so we, we, her nose stops bleeding. We're like, okay, well, we got it anyway. Let's go downstairs because now we're going to like do this big thing. And as we walk downstairs in my own home, in my kitchen, my two-year-old vomits on the floor. <laughs> And I was like, and that's the day. That's the day. And my AD was like, whoa, 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 whoa. We have two and a half hours. We have the kids for another. And I was like, dude, no. Like, that's it. How behind are we if we call it? And we were like barely behind. And we ended up like doing some wild lines we needed to do and all this stuff. And then we sent everyone home except the DP and the operator, Jake and Emilio and I and the producers. And then we just like rehearsed and rehearsed and rehearsed because we had a one the next day that we had a ton of time for. But it's, it was fine. It saved the day. But that's a favorite memory because it was everyone was like, oh, my God, I see why you wrote this movie. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, they're vomiting and bleeding. And 
trying to shoot the movie and like, and I just made a call that I felt totally fine and stand behind. I was like, this is also being a director is like you're hosting a party. And when the guests become ill, like you help them to their car, so to speak. I mean, unless they're open <laughs> drinking, then you don't, you call them a cat. But like, I was like, it was fine. It was all fine and it worked out. But that's also everyone's favorite. They're like, do you remember that day? And I'm like, oh yes, of course I do. But, and I had to change my clothes, you know, twice because the children had been ill on me. Um, and I was like, you can have it all, you guys. I'm doing it right now. So, <laughs> and that is what it looks like. <laughs> so oh, after- wow. Amazing. Uh, that is hysterical. I mean, I'm not, it's not funny, but it's funny. No, I mean, yeah. 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 Sweet. Um, and our last question, what's been keeping you sane creatively in quarantine? During this, I'm working. Well, first of all, I'm watching Bosch because I'm your 72 year old mother. I'm watching <laughs> Bosch. I watch one episode every night. That's because my husband's working on a police procedural right now. So I we're watching it. Um, and I love it. I'm like, I love it. I've also read every Michael Connelly book that, with that character. <laughs> so I was primed to love it, but I love it. So watch, watch. But also working and trying Apple TV's trying is like so charming in the like trio of British parenting shows with uh, Breeders Catastrophe and Trying. Um, but I, so I'm watching stuff and I'm reading and then I'm working. I'm, I'm writing I'm, I'm out pitching um, blocks uh, as a TV series. So like getting to develop that with some producers has been really incredible because I get to escape my actual family to write about a family. Um, and then uh, and I'm working on a screenplay. So just like having that I want to direct, but I'm writing it. Um, having like something to work on has been a very welcome change of pace. I'll say that lovely yeah cool well we end every interview with our lightning round so you can answer in a word or phrase that comes to mind okay so we start with uh three favorite or most influential film art <laughs> sometimes they're problematic directors okay um influential films he's dead to me now but hannah and her sisters eternal sunshine of the spotless mind and clueless Two, dream person you want to work with. Oh, God. I love all the people I always work with. Is that? That's cheating, right? Um, I think Rachel Morrison, probably, Mm. even though we do very different stuff and she's directing now, but I'll say Rachel. One, best advice you've received? Easy. This one's easy. My friend who's... um, a Canadian osteopath. So that's like different than how we think of osteopaths. They like lightly manipulate your organs. Um, She, we were talking about work and she was like, you just have to let your weird light shine. Mm -hmm. And like people either like it or they don't, but like that's nothing. You can't do anything other than just, and of course you can, you can try to do other things. But her point was like, just do you and, and it either hits or it doesn't for people. And it's been very good advice. I love that. And Action, where can people follow you on social media? You can find me on Instagram at Bridget Maloney, M-O-L-O-N-E-Y. And that's probably the best because Twitter bums me out, so I'm never on there anymore. 
but Instagram, you can see like a lot of artful photos of my incredibly messy house and my children. Love it. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Bridget. This was so fun. Thank you so much for having me. You can find us at abrighterlens.com and at abrighterlens on Instagram and Twitter. You can email us at abrighterlens at gmail.com. You can download the show wherever you listen to podcasts and on Apple Podcasts, where we'd love it if you left us a review. Our theme song was composed by Jesse Nelson. Our logos were designed by Meg Cafferty. Our associate producer is Elise Welch. A Brighter Lens was created by Jennifer Zollett and Larkin Bell. 